Welcome to episode 150 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, there's something about being outside that lights a spark inside. It makes us more in tune with ourselves, it shuts out the noise of civilization, and it slows us down in a good way. Today, we're going to share some of our upcoming creative projects and hopefully inspire you to get started on your own. Then we'll review a sub-two-pound tent that can fit you plus four really good friends. For today's backpack hack of the week, you'll learn how to steal like an artist. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Being outside really sparks my creativity. And one of the ways that I show that creativity is in creating the first 40 miles podcast. I love coming up with things to share with our audience. I love working on projects that I know will benefit our audience. And I love writing books that will help each of our first 40 milers to have an enhanced experience on the trail. I guess creativity is one of the real reasons that I backpack. I know that it feeds my brain. It feeds my soul. One of my favorite quotes is by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, and he said, The desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. No matter our talents, education, backgrounds, or abilities, we each have an inherent wish to create something that did not exist before. So on top of coming up with weekly episodes, I'm always coming up with ideas for what is the next thing that I can share with the first 40 milers. And I have a list that is so, so long of all these ideas for books or projects or products. I mean, like, it's so long, it's ridiculous. And there's no way in one lifetime that I could finish even 1%. Okay, maybe 1%. Not 10%, though. (laughs) That's too much. And so I'm going to focus on books. I have books that are simmering in a little pot right now that are getting stirred every day. I'm working on those books, and we have a couple that we're really excited about. One I think we've mentioned before, the children's book. We've mentioned that one because uh, it was supposed to be published last spring. Oh. Ooh. Oh, no. Okay, well, the illustrator, who is not one of us <laughs> but is related to us, didn't deliver on time. Ooh, and she also helps out with other things like rides to and from cross country and doing dishes. So we kind of have to balance that. And she took off to Europe over the summer (sighs) for a month. So rude. (laughs) Why did we let her go? I don't know. behind on this project. (laughs) So anyway, the children's book will be coming out super soon. And I have another project that I'm working on that will launch hopefully before the end of this year. It'll be a backpacking bars cookbook, but not like bars as in bars, like bars as in granola bars. No, no taverns or saloons? No. No, no pubs? Nope. <laughs> Just the kind that you eat that have like 
the and granola type. But yes. other things besides granola as well. Yes, there will be some other exciting bars in there. Um, I'm not using protein powder as one of the ingredients. So they'll hopefully be more wholesome, whole food type bars. There'll be a lot of selection. Grains, vegetables, fruits, even meats. You're playing around with all those ingredients. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm going to have a lot of fun testing the recipes out for uh, yeah. sure. So while we're working on those creative projects, we have all these other little creative ideas simmering that are just actually beyond simmering. They are overflowing out of the pot. And so what we wanted to do today is to share some of those ideas with you. For today's top five list, we wanted to share with you the top five backpacking gear ideas for you to tinker with this fall. So Heather, what you're asking people to do is take your idea and implement it? Yeah, like actually go through the whole process, implement it, tinker with it, produce it, sell it, market it, whatever you want to do with these ideas. I'm not promising that they're great ideas, but I think they're good enough ideas. But if someone had that extra capacity, a little bit of spark, and they had the desire, they might be able to take these ideas far. Well, they're free for the taking. And who knows, maybe one of these ideas will spark a different idea and someone can run with that. Absolutely. Well, the number one backpacking gear idea for you to tinker with this fall, maybe even through the winter, is gear wipes. I think that the market is pretty well saturated with ways to clean your body. But what if I want to wipe down my gear when I get home? If I try to use a baby wipe to wipe down my gear, it's going to be scented. It's going to have moisturizers in it. It's going to leave those little strands of baby wipe material all over my pack. I'm looking for something that maybe has a little bit of tooth to it that can grab onto dirt, maybe has some enzymatic cleaner, some of that natural odor eater stuff in it, something that's unscented, that doesn't have moisturizers in it, something that could take the oil and dirt off and would leave my pack clean and ready for the next time I want to use it or leave my tent clean or my shoes or whatever it is that I want to wipe down that I don't want to throw in the washer and dryer. So gear wipes is something I've searched for. I haven't been able to find it. I haven't found anything that is even like it. I've seen bike wipes, I've seen gun wipes, I've seen body wipes, but I haven't seen gear wipes. So if that's an idea that appeals to you, take it and run. The number two backpacking gear idea that you can tinker with is an all-in-one balm. When we're backpacking, we usually bring sunscreen, we bring some lip balm, we bring some first aid ointment, we bring toothpaste, and maybe you bring deodorant too. Is there any way to create an all-in-one balm? Something that you could use to brush your teeth and stop body odor and treat a bee sting? Uh, that's a tall order. Like, are there enough common ingredients in all of those things that you could make it work? Hmm. And then could you also make it all natural with no nanoparticles? Could you make it deodorizing but unscented too? And then could you add antibacterial, antifungal, antihemorrhoidal, <laughs> anti-inflammatory, and then put it all in a cute little reusable tin with a screw top lid? Maybe. Someone out there has the genius to make this happen. I know it. 
The number three backpacking gear idea to tinker with is compostable gear. This is something that we mentioned a few episodes ago, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. What happens to gear when it's been trashed by the trail and it's been chewed up by chipmunks and there are all those little burn holes in it from every campfire that you've ever lit? Most gear is made from petroleum-based man-made materials. So are we ready to try something a little radical? Are we ready for compostable gear? So this would be gear that's made out of 100% biodegradable or natural fibers. So this is something that you could compost at home or that you could repair on the trail and kind of perpetuate the life of this gear. You can apply the idea of compostable gear to your pack, to your tent, your sleeping bag, and maybe this gear would only have a six to 18 month lifespan, but there's no way that this gear would sit in a landfill for 200,000 years. It would break down and that would be a good thing. You could use bamboo fibers, wood pulp, byproducts of the food industry, corn husks, and then you could even incorporate some plant wax-based waterproofing. Okay, you might already have some clothing that is biodegradable or compostable, like your bamboo shirt. Is, is that mixed with synthetic fibers too? Um, it's mixed with cotton. So it's a bamboo cotton mix. So that should be compostable, right? So that's easy enough, clothing. I'm trying to wrap my head around backpack. Using it for two years and then sticking it in the compost heap versus having a backpack that lasts for 10 or 20 years. But if it lasts for 20 years, how long does it sit in a landfill? But say it can be recycled. The, the metal can be recycled and the petroleum-based products are basically plastics. You know, all those fabrics are basically spun plastic. So those could be recycled too, right? Well, technically, I think a lot of those things could be recycled. I think they aren't recycled. And so when a company says, this whole thing is recyclable, how many people are actually going to recycle it? The truth is they'll probably just throw it away or donate it to a thrift shop who will then throw it away. So it ends up in a landfill and then there it sits. And so if it was compostable, then when it ended up in the landfill, it would go away after a while. Okay. Right. I think this is an opportunity for the industry to change, to think a little bit differently, and to move forward on some radical ideas. You can tell I'm not quite sold yet, but That's I'll okay. keep mulling over you the know idea. What? I would have to say pack manufacturers, I don't even think they've given this a serious thought. I don't think anyone is really thinking of this right now, which is why I'm putting it out to our first 40 milers, because someone out there maybe has strong feelings about this and maybe has some of the resources or connections to start testing out a completely compostable tent or a completely compostable pack. The number four backpacking gear idea to tinker with is a flat flashlight. Is there a reason that headlamps and flashlights are still as bulky as they are? Batteries, maybe? I, that explains round, right? The flashlights that just take double uh, A's or triple A's or C batteries, you know, they're round and kind of bulky because they have to fit the batteries. But we're really moving to rechargeable everything these days, where you just plug it in with a micro USB cable to recharge it. 
And if it's rechargeable, then it means it doesn't have to fit some standard size battery like double A's. You could make the battery any shape and size that you want, really. So it is possible to slim things down, maybe even making the light as thin as a piece of paper. See, that's science fiction. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, you know, the, there's the light that's in the center of your flashlight, but then around it is the reflective material. So maybe there's a way to collapse that. So if you wanted more reflection, you could pull it out, kind of like one of those collapsible cups, pull it out and it would stay in place. And then when you wanted to put it in your pack, you would just collapse it back down and it would take up a fifth of the space that it would have taken up before. Well, look at household light bulbs. Why are we still screwing fancy LED light bulbs into this rickety socket that was invented 100 years ago? And the LED light bulb itself is still the same shape as those incandescent bulbs were 100 years ago. Well, you know, in our house, it's because we have to be able to retrofit to the existing sockets and everything. So that's a little tougher, but we tend to do that. We tend to take something that's a particular form because it had to be that way in order to function. And then when the technology improves, we still put that new technology into the same form that we did before, even though it's no longer necessary. And I think we're doing that with flashlights. I think over time, people are going to figure it out and they're going to start changing up the form of flashlights more to make something that really makes more sense. Um, but yeah, we've got a ways to go there. So I'm I'm sold on that one. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, paper thin, that still needs some science <laughs> to make that happen. But we could definitely change up the shapes and the forms of our flashlights and headlamps as they are today. And the number five backpacking gear idea to tinker with is the idea of a zipperless tent. Do we really need to hear a chorus of zippers around 1.30 a.m. as everyone makes their midnight potty run? Wish there were a better way. Yeah, cue the as-seen-on-TV music. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> well, what if we had an entrance to a tent that wasn't a zippered entrance? The zipper is the weakest part of the tent. Yeah, it is. It's the least enjoyable part of the tent experience. It always gets caught. Right. And after it gets caught a few times, it gets weak or something. It, it gets bent out of shape a little bit, and then it doesn't work so well anymore. And you throw away the tent primarily because of the zipper going out. So is there a different way to seal an entrance of a tent? Maybe a self-sealing entrance? Maybe magnets? Um, maybe some kind of multi-panel elasticized opening that you could push through and then as you enter, it closes automatically behind you. That sounds cool. There's a few options that have been used in the past that maybe we don't use so much anymore. Those big canvas tents that we slept in at Philmont last summer, they just used ties. So you would just tie off the doors. The doors overlapped with each other enough to where it protected you and, and kept everything private. There's Velcro, but that doesn't meet your 1.30 a.m. test nope, for I don't quiet. Want to I don't want to hear a chorus of Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound appealing at all to me. And Velcro has other issues on the trail. It snags so many shirts. Yeah, it sticks to everything. Huh? Yep. There is the magnet idea. The no-zip sleeping bags use magnets. So maybe, maybe no-zip can do a tent. Ooh. I think that's an idea we should send his way. Yeah. Ooh, I love that idea. But the self-sealing opening is intriguing. You just sort of 
walk through the wall of your tent and it just seals up behind you. You know, it would be overlapped a little bit. There'd be two pieces of fabric slightly overlapped and you would just kind of push. And as you pushed, it would create an opening. And then as you got all the way in your tent, it would come back together. So I think we have to make a couple of commitments at this point. Uh, One is to restate that these ideas are free for the taking. We claim no intellectual property rights. Just run with it. Someone else might claim intellectual property rights. Who knows? That Maybe there was someone that invented one of these things back in the 80s, and it's just waiting for you to copy it so that they can chase you with their patent. <laughs> but we won't do that. And number two, I think if any of these ideas already exist and we don't know about it, then let us know about them. We'd love to find out about them. Number three, if you end up making one of these, we probably need to commit that we will review it and talk about it on the show. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Okay. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Appy Trails Mark V five five-person tent. The Appy Trails Mark V tent is a five-person tent that boasts a weight that's typically reserved for a one-person tent. It really sounds too good to be true at first. A five-person tent that's the weight of a one-person tent. Yeah, it's amazing. And we're calling it a tent, but really this is a shelter that's a hybrid between a tarp and a tent. So it has all those lightweight benefits of a tarp with the structure of a tent. The Mark V is a single wall tent. A lot of the tents we're used to, that you know, the typical dome tent that you buy from the backpacking store is a double wall tent. It has a tent body and then over that or outside of that is a rain fly. So you have two layers of fabric. Plus, of course, the tent body has a layer of fabric below you on the ground as well. The two layers can be helpful for giving you a combination of water resistance and breathability. So moisture from inside the tent can get out and escape, but that outer shell, the rainfly, keeps the water from the outside uh, from getting into your tent. But double wall tents aren't the only way to go. Single wall tents have this obvious advantage of using one layer of fabric instead of two. So it almost immediately cuts your weight in half or more. The Mark V is made of polyester And it's polyurethane coated, which means it's waterproof, not just water repellent or water resistant. It has a single center pole, and then it has stakes that pull the rest of the tent out and ends up being a really taut tent. And then it also comes with aluminum poles. One is a very long pole, which is the center pole, and the other is a very short pole. And you really can't mix them up. No, they're very different from each other. All of the seams on this tent are factory sealed, so you won't have any leakage in this tent. For utility, this tent is huge. It is a five-person tent, and you have a lot of floor space in this tent, but no floor. So you have just a lot of room. It goes up to six feet tall, so you could stand up in this tent. The sides of the tent slope down fairly quickly, and so you'll be able to stand up in the center, but not on the sides. Because it's a single wall tent and it's waterproof, it means that condensation on the inside is going to collect on the inside of the tent and not leave unless you have ventilation. So it is important to open up those flaps and let the air circulate. Because this doesn't have a tent floor, you can bring your own or not. 
you could just sleep right there on the pine needles with your sleeping pad and your sleeping bag. The Mark V is a muted forest green color, so it blends in really well with the forest. Your camp is not going to look like the cover of an REI catalog. <laughs> it's going to be nice and uh, subdued, understated. I like that. For mass, the Appy Trails Mark V weighs 2 pounds 9 ounces. I stuck it on our scale and it came in exactly the same weight as our Big Agnes Copper Spur UL2. But this is a five-person tent. That's amazing. They can trim all of that mass off of the tent by getting rid of all the extra features. This is a tent that just does the job of keeping you dry and keeping you protected from the elements without all those extra features that the other tents have. But here's another cool thing. You can leave some of this tent at home. The stuff sack is a little under an ounce. Of course, you can leave that home easily. Uh, but you can also leave the poles and the tent stakes home. If you use just wooden stakes uh, out on the trail, then uh, that saves you 4.2 ounces. And you don't really need the center pole if you've got other options. One option would be trekking poles. You can dual purpose them to hold your tent up. Or if you pitch your tent under a tree limb, then you can actually just suspend the tent from the tree limb instead of having a pole coming up from below. And of course, that even makes it so you have more open space inside the tent. So if you only take the tent body itself, you're down to one pound, 12 ounces. That's an amazing low weight for a tent that sleeps up to five people. For maintenance, when you get home, you'll want to make sure that you dry out the tent completely. That's especially important because this is a waterproof tent. If there's any water on it when you put it away, it will stay there and will mold really quickly. So you'll want to take it out when you get home and lay it out on a sofa or on the kitchen table and make sure that it is 110% dry. If the weight of this tent is too good to be true, then you're thinking, oh, price, right? We always talk about you can get low price, low weight, or lots of features. Pick any two, but not three. This is low weight, so it's supposed to be high price, right? $500? That's what I would guess. But it's not. It's $130. 130 you you can hardly find any tent in an outdoor store at that price point. That's so true. For trial, we took this out on a trip to our BLM land backpacking spot. Did we use anything underneath? I can't remember. We did. We took a 5 by 7 uh, just footprint or, or ground cover that uh, we used under us. Of course, that adds weight. But I don't think that 5 by 7 tarp weighs more than maybe 6 to 8 ounces. Yeah. So it adds very little weight. And like we said, it's not even a necessity. You could sleep with this tent with no ground cloth. Setup of the tent requires a little bit of tinkering, but once you have it figured out, you'll never forget how to do it. We gave ourselves plenty of time to set it up for the first time. We got there well before dark. This was in June where the sun stays up till super late. And so we didn't have to rush. We had the instruction paper with us. We went step by step through it. Uh, it did a good job for the most part of explaining how to set up the tent. It's a little bit of a sequence because um, your goal by the time you're done here is to have a tent that's really taut, that's stretched out very evenly. And in order to accomplish that goal, you do certain things first and other things later. So you got to follow the sequence. And, uh, and we did that. And there were a couple spots along the way where we were I think a little confused about what to do next, but we just kept marching forward and, and we figured it out. 
after we got the whole tent up, I think I ended up readjusting a couple points on the tent. Once we had been through it once together, then we understood the big picture and we understood that sequence. So if we were to take the tent out again today, uh, I think we'd be able to set it up uh, much more smoothly uh, than that first time. But even the first time wasn't too bad. It's just important to remember that it's not going to be like those pop-up dome tents where without reading the instructions, you sort of slip a couple of tent poles through a couple of sleeves, you pop them into the corners, and your tent is up. You throw a rain fly on top and you latch it down. You do have to know how to set this tent up. You do need to follow the instructions the first time so you learn it. And then once you do, you're in good shape. And if you set it up the way that the instructions say, you can pitch this tent very taut and very tight to the ground, which is good because we had rain the night that we camped in it. And when it rained, you know, it's really nice to have a tent that's actually waterproof. Okay, we live in Oregon and we struggle with this. We get gear that is quote-unquote water resistant and we take it out in the Oregon winter and, you know, that water resistance, yeah, it works to a point and then it fails and everything gets wetted out, everything gets soaked. And so it's so refreshing when you use a piece of gear that's truly waterproof when you're out in a spot where you know it's going to rain. Before you decide whether or not this tent is for you, you have to go to the Appy Trails website and get yourself a serious education. This guy who runs Appy Trails is quotable Joe. He has so many nuggets of wisdom and great hacks. I pulled this from his website, which I just loved. He said, modern tents have become monuments to manufacturing. Bathtub floors and bug netting and stakeless setup and zippered windows and multiple pole sets are all standard whether you need them or not. So the Appy Trails tents, the Mark V and the other tents included, all have kind of this same belief running through them that modern tents are overthought. They're overbuilt. Let's just simplify things a little bit. So while this tent doesn't have all these newfangled features, it has some really basic, solid, foundational features that are really important to a backpacking shelter. So back to the Pick Any 2, we're picking low price and low weight, which is really cool because it's a really low price and a really low weight, and we're giving up some features, but you might find out you don't need those features. And the features that the tent does have might be just the features you need that, that it needs to be really good at. So it's, it's really worth checking out. A very different tent from any other tents that we've reviewed, but at this price and this weight, and with just how well it sheltered us on a rainy night, it's well worth checking out. I guess, can I come back around? We we talked a little bit about the fact that it's a five-person tent, that you might not actually sleep five people in it. If you look at the diagram of how you would fit five people in the tent, yeah, they'll fit. It'll be really tight, but they'll fit. For us, we fit the two of us in the tent, and then we had our backpacks in the tent with us next to us. So the style, I guess, in which we used the tent was very similar to how we would use our other tents that have the vestibules on the outside, where there's two of us sleeping in the inner tent, and then our gear was under the vestibule. But with the Appy Trails tent, the two of us plus our gear were all under the tent, which meant less zipping and unzipping of the doors to access our gear. That was pretty nice. 
If we wanted to fit more people in the tent, we could probably fit another person in with gear. But after that, if we wanted to get four or five people in the tent, then the gear would need to be outside. But at least we could do it if we needed to. With our other tents, I mean, you can only fit two people in a two-person tent. And even that's tight. And then could you fit a third or fourth person under the vestibule outside the tent? Not really. So at least with this tent, it's available. It's an option. If you need to shelter a lot of people, you can do it. And we'll have the link to the Appy Trails Mark V tent in today's show notes. And you'll find those at thefirst40miles.com slash 150. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, Dehydrated Meal Inspiration. In episode 147, we talked about dehydrating food. But some of you might be wondering, where can I get ideas for my own dehydrated meals? Don't turn to commercially freeze-dried meals because they use a completely different technology to take water out of food, which means that the integrity of the food shape is virtually unchanged and rehydrating it is different. It's quicker. It, the food stays in the same shape. So instead, look to commercially dehydrated meals for your inspiration when doing a DIY dehydrated backpacking meal. And we wanted to spotlight a couple companies that we think have really creative, wonderful food that you can use as a springboard to your own dehydrated meals. The first one is Good To Go. They have an amazing smoked three bean chili. They have an herbed mushroom risotto and a Mexican quinoa bowl. So if you wanted to, you could buy a few of the good to go meals, test them out on the trail, kind of mentally deconstruct them if you want to, and then take your own culinary adventure spinoffs off of what they've created. Maybe dice up some mango to your next batch of chili and then dehydrate it and package it up for your next trip. Another company is Heather's Choice and they focus on really high quality ingredients, just amazing stuff. One of the things that Heather's Choice has is these packaroons, which is a super clever word mashup of backpack and macaroons. They're these little coconut cookies. They're so good. So say you fall in love with packaroons and you take them on every trip. You even raid your backpacking food stash in between trips just to enjoy the packaroons. But then you start to think, you know what else would be amazing? Tangerine tarragon packaroons or rosemary bacon packaroons. So you start tinkering in your little kitchen, bringing them on the trail, and you've created this thing that piggybacked, or should we say piggybackpacked? <laughs> piggybackpacked on the back of another very creative person. This is what's called stealing like an artist. And there is nothing wrong with seeing what these companies are doing, enjoying what they do, and finding the inspiration to experiment on your own. So if you're inspired by these companies that have done the creative work, make sure you reward their creative efforts by either continuing to purchase their products or by reaching out to them and thanking them for their original creative efforts. I want to come back to this idea of stealing like an artist because I think the whole point of stealing like an artist is that both sides benefit. So that if you were to go out and start up a company called Josh's Choice and have 
lavender lemon macaroons and, you know, copy, that's not the same thing. What you're doing is you really are seeking inspiration from people who've already paved the way. You're putting together flavor combinations that are maybe different than what other people would have done. And sometimes stealing like an artist means that you combine ideas. So maybe you get a package of good-to-go smoked three-bean chili, but you bring along your habanero flakes, and you bring along some dried mango that you dried yourself, and you create this synergistic meal that has components of what someone else has already created and something that you've created. So I think using what other people have done as a springboard to create something greater is what creativity is all about. So I hope Good To Go and Heather's Choice don't mind that we shared their wonderful meals as an example. We'll have links to both of their websites in today's show notes, and you can check out what amazing food they have and maybe get a little bit of inspiration for your next backpacking meal. We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from Henri Frédéric Amiel, a Swiss writer whose birthday is tomorrow. September 27th. He said, Mother of marvels, mysterious and tender, nature, why do we not live more in thee? That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Oh, yeah, this opening is all you. It's all me. Yep, because you like... No, I'm sorry. Just these two bullet points. Leakage. Is that is that one of those words? It's like... Like moisture? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it's... Uh, okay. That works. We'll keep it. Yeah.